Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Good evening. It's nice to see everyone come out this evening. Tonight we're going to be in Levitic, Leviticus chapter 18. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I've titled, well, before we, before we get into it, let us open a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Gracious Father, Almighty God, we come before you this evening, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, for bringing us all here tonight. And I pray, Lord God, for the time that we have as we open up your word, Lord God, that your spirit, Lord God, would do what your word was intended to do, Lord God, and that is to transform us, Lord God, to renew our minds, Lord God, and that we would, Lord, leave this place, Lord God, serving you, worshiping you, Lord God, with the knowledge of your word. So, Father... I pray that you, Lord God, would be speaking through me, that it would not be me and my own strength, Lord God, that I would clearly share, Lord, what you have put on my heart in this passage, Lord. And I just pray for everyone here, Lord God, that you would speak to each individual heart as only you can. So we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, you know, looking at this passage at first, I was like, Wow. All right. And um, I came up with the title, Peculiar People. All right. Peculiar People. So probably the most uh, common use of that word, right? If I were to ask you, what do you think of? What does peculiar mean? You will probably say someone or something that is strange, (laughs) that is odd or even uncommon. And the reason why I thought of this word is, is whenever I study uh, to, to teach, I, I always make it a point to listen to at least one sermon from someone else or teaching just to kind of help, help, help me put my words okay, in order at the same time, even learn some things that maybe that individual you know, uh, pulled from that passage that I did not see at first. So I was listening with, to uh, Albert Moeller on this. And during his message, he mentioned peculiar people. And we, we get that verse from 1 Peter 2.9, all right, but in the ESV. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence, excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Now that phrase there, a people for his own possession, in the King James Version uses the word peculiar, right? Peculiar people. Now, peculiar in this verse is referring to the fact that believers are a special people because we were chosen from before the foundations of the earth to be God's own possession. Different from the world around us because we are being transformed by the indwelling presence of God's Spirit. We are different because having been born again by the Spirit of God and believing in Christ for salvation, we have received the right to become children of God. Amen? While it is true that believers are different, it is the believers standing as the adopted children of God, joint heirs with Christ Jesus and God's own special people that make us peculiar. So we are peculiar, and then we are to be different. 
So I just want to give you a little lens uh, on, on where I'm going with this. Uh, again, we are a peculiar people. Israel was a peculiar people, meaning God's possession. We belong to God. And we know that God preserves his promise, and we'll see, we, we continue to see that through this book. He preserves his promise for his sake. And because we are peculiar, because we are his possession, we are the recipients of his goodness. Amen? Today and for eternity. So I'd like you to keep that thought in the back of your mind as we look at these boundaries, these prohibitions that we're going to see in Leviticus chapter 18. Now, in, Mike did a good recap last week of the chapters, and he had mentioned uh, chapter 17, and I'm just, uh, just again, a quick summary. This part of the book, 17, chapter 17 to 26, Maybe even the, the last chapter, I didn't see that, but we see that God lays out the guidelines for practical holiness pertaining to every aspect of life. All right, now we've seen that in the bodily discharge. We see that, we're going to see that here and going forward. All right, the spiritual life of Israel, and if you would keep this in mind also, if I fail to say us, whenever I say Israel, include us. Include us as believers. The spiritual life of Israel, the spiritual life of us as believers, could only be evidenced by their desire to obey and be holy. So with Moses, again, as God's mouthpiece, God lays out here the principle, the people, the purity, the purity and promises of peculiarity. So... If you would stand with me and join as we read the text for today, it's Leviticus chapter 18. We'll read the whole chapter. God's word says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, for which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter, or your mother's daughter, whether brought up in the family or in another home. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, for their nakedness is your own nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, brought up in your father's family, since she, since she is your sister. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister, she is your father's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is your mother's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother, that is, you shall not approach his wife, she is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law, she is your son's wife, you shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. 
You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and of her daughter, and you shall not take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are relatives. It is depravity. And you shall not take a woman as a rival wife to her sister, uncovering her nakedness while her sister is still alive. You shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness while she is in her menstrual uncleanness. And you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife, and so make yourself unclean for her. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And you shall not lie with any animal, and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. For by all these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean, and the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules, and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all of these abominations, so that the land became unclean lest the lamb vomit you out when you make it unclean, as it vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone, who, <clears throat> excuse me, for everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you, and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. You may be seated. May God add blessing to his word. Amen. So, a lot of you shall nots, right? You shall not. The first thing I want us to see is the principle of Israel's peculiarity, okay? What I mean by the principle is, is the basis for the foundation for uh, reasoned behavior or why we do what we do. Mike mentioned a passage last week in Romans 12.1, right? I appeal to you to, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service, your reasonable act of service, your reasonable worship. So that's what, I, that's what I'm getting at when I mention the principle of Israel's peculiarity. In verses 1 and 2, Of Leviticus 18, we read, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. Now, I believe here in in the second verse, we have God making one proclamation, one announcement, but he emphasizes two things. The first is his announcement, I am the Lord. He's saying, he's, he's announcing himself, I am. I am Jehovah, self-sufficient, self-existent, omnipresent. That is who I am. Therefore, listen, pay careful attention to what I'm about to say and what, am I, what I am about to do. It's as if he's getting their attention. And this isn't the first time that we hear God speak this way. For example, when God gave the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, I am the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Again, announcing himself. In in Abraham's vision, when God took him and showed him the stars, the multitude of stars in Genesis 15. 
And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And also Jacob's dream, right, of the angels descending and ascending in Genesis 28. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. And one more, Exodus 6. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Again, I will. I am going to do this. I am the Lord. The second thing I believe that's emphasized was when he said, I am the Lord, your God. I am your God. You are mine, and I am yours. Again, in Exodus 6, verse 7, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of Egypt. Now, all that they've been through up until this point, all that God has done for them, I'm sure that Israel has no doubt that they know who God is, that God has made himself known. So to hear that, know that I am the Lord your God, is without question for them. With God's emphasis here of his possession of them, and really their position because of his possession, God and his authority would cause Israel to pay special attention to obey what he was about to tell them in Leviticus 18. So we have the, here the principle of peculiarity, the foundation, again, for reasoning of behavior. Again, reasonable service. God is, I am, and Israel is his possession. Next, I want us to look at verses 3 through 5, the, the people of peculiarity. Again, that they are different that they are to be different. He says in verse 3, I am the Lord your God. Again, I am the Lord. Now I think that announcement shifts a little. I believe it's, it's, it's used to motivate Israel and to motivate us. I am the Lord your God. I am the great I am. You are my possession. Therefore, you shall do as they, you shall not do, excuse me, as they do in the land of Egypt where you live, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I'm bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall not do what the Egyptians do. You shall not do what the Canaanites do. I have set you apart to myself. You are mine, and I am, you are mine, and I am yours. Thank you. Therefore, live as such. How are they to live as such? They are to hate that which God hates. And I think Mike brought this verse out last week. Psalm 97.10 O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He, he, perse- he perseveres the lives of his saints. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. So how do we love God? By hating what he hates, and that is evil. That word Hate, okay, really what it means is unable or unwilling to put up with. 
that something that we cannot tolerate, that would make us sick. <clears throat> We're unwilling to put up with it. It's something that would be happening or going on or something that is that would cause us to leave uh, a place to, to say or do something to oppose it, to rebuke it. It is just something that we cannot stand. You shall not walk in their statutes, he says. What he's talking about there is, is any customs or traditions. A more, a more or less fixed behavior that's generally accepted. We have to be very careful, uh, church, that we, that we don't find ourselves in those types of situations. That we just become so uh, lax, let's say, and, 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 and just find ourselves slipping into or slipping away from obeying God and what he has called us to be. So the prohibitions God lays, lays out, again, are for his namesake. That Israel would remain holy, that you and I would remain holy. holy. Not to give in to customs or accepted uh, behaviors uh, that are practiced. And we see that, again, a lot today. What, what we saw as, a, as, as perversion, as something that was ungodly, uh, maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago today, is widely accepted. We see that even accelerated today. So don't, don't give in to those things, he's telling them. He's telling us also, don't give in to these things. You know, where you lived and where I'm sending you to Canaan, God constantly warns against unprescribed worship. Because really, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about everything that we do is worship unto God. Amen? How we work, how we conduct ourselves uh, in the workplace, at home. Everything that we do is to be done wholeheartedly unto the Lord. So he constantly warns against unprescribed worship, and we've heard it over and over again at this night service. Deuteronomy 12, 30 to 31, we read, Take care that you not be ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their gods. How did these nations serve their gods? That I also may do the same. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their, uh, for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. So again, from where you came from, from where you're going, God has been warning Israel all this time. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 23 and 24, When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. And again, chapter 23, verses 32 to 33. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. So again, don't do the same as other nations. Church, let us not be lulled into acquiescing to the ways of the world. It so easily creeps in. Verse 4, Leviticus 18, You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord 
your God. Again, that announcement of who he is. I am the Lord your God. Again, should motivate Israel, should motivate us as we're reminded of who he is. They, we, are his children, therefore we are to be holy. And I believe this also comes along with the fear that comes from being his children. We have to have a reverence, we have to have a fear of who God is. Proverbs 18.13 says, The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Right? He's making this announcement, I am the Lord your God, throughout this passage, throughout Scripture. It's almost as if someone were to come to you and say, Hey, Camille, your father said... Right? That would, get, that would grab our attention. There's some weight to that. There's some gravity to that because we're reminded of God and who He is and His authority. Verse 5, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Again, there's blessing there. And we'll talk more about that later. Deuteronomy 30, 15-20, See, I have set before you today life and good, life and good death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways, and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. And the rest, see God's plea here. God's love towards his people, towards us. Therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. God is calling Israel, God calls us to live differently. Again, he's saying to them, than those that are, were in Egypt, that those are in the land that they're going to, or, really, or anywhere else that we are to live differently. God is calling them to live and calling us to live as His designed image bearers and possession. To devote their worship, that we would devote our worship and way of life to Him. Again, in His prescribed manner. Not with the way the world has gone and is going. The people of peculiarity's reasonable service is to devote themselves to the Lord. To be in the world, but not of the world. And God promises to multiply, to bless, and to shepherd us. Amen? That is His promise. Which brings us to the third point. The purity and promise of peculiarity. First, the purity. In verses 6 through 18 of Leviticus 18, uh, we saw that the, the, the great significance that God had put on the sanctity of family with sexual prohibitions. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, just going to kind of summarize it, but 
We'll look at verse 6, where it says, None of you shall approach any of his close relatives to uncovered nakedness. Again, I am the Lord. This speaks about incest. Incest is marriage or sexual relations between two people who are closely related. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir, and this might disgust some of us, but we are a wicked people. Amen? And it's not just Israel that was doing this, okay, or people of that time. There's nothing new under the sun. It's going on today. But, again, this is about incest. We have here the specific decree from God that marriage is not to be between close relatives. Because if we're talking about sexual relations, we're talking about the marriage bed. It's exclusive to marriage. God makes this prohibition, though, mainly, I believe, to protect the promise, to preserve the promise that he made to Abraham. Genesis 17, 8, we read, And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So try and follow me, please. For an everlasting possession. He's talking about generations, right? One generation after the next. Right? I will give you this land. That is the promise. Then in Deuteronomy 7, verse 3, God commands Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons, or taking their daughters for your sons. So incest would have been something that Israel had to contend with. All right? If I'm not suppo- they're not supposed to intermarry with the foreigners, okay? but they're supposed to keep it within... The, the, the family, so to speak, but yet not be incestuous. Right? So this limits the list or pool of, of suitable spouses. So God continues in verses 7 to 18 of Leviticus 18 by clearly defining who is off the list. Right? Remember, you shall not uncover the nakedness of all those. So, so to kind of summarize that chunk there, The term, okay, close relatives is mentioned, and the phrase uncover nakedness or have sexual relations is really what that is. The nakedness is referring to sexual intercourse, to sexual relations, all right? The close relatives, all right, is referring to people who are blood-related. We understand that the nuclear family consists of uh, uh, of close relatives, we, we say it's the mother, the father, the son, the daughter, the brother, and the sister. And God lists all of them. When he says close relatives, he, he, he uses the word is she'er. Now, that refers to mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, brothers, and sisters, like what we define the nuclear family to be. But then he extends it. He goes on, including steps and halves, okay, grandchildren, aunts, and uncles. So those are not permitted. So anyone outside of that, that fourth cousin, however you want to term it, okay, is not necessarily off limits, but it's still, okay, not with a foreigner. You you get where I'm coming from? So actually, he, he sets that in place because... 
If they don't follow that, it would have been easy for them to fall into incestuous relationships, saying, well, I'm just doing what God told me to do. But he puts that parameter on there, that, that prohibition. Sexual relations, again, have been reserved for the marriage bed alone by God. Only a man and a woman joined in the covenant of marriage, making the promise to put the needs of the others before themselves in the company of witnesses, that is the covenant marriage that is biblical. God continues in verse 7 of Leviticus 18. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. So to uncover the nakedness, all right, in, in uh, verse 7, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. So what's that, what that's speaking of is, in the Bible, God tells us that marriage, when we're married, Adam and Eve, they became what? They became one flesh, okay? They became one flesh. So if a spouse has a marriage, has a, a relationship, a sexual relationship outside the marriage bed because the husband and wife are one flesh, all right? Because one has it, the spouse now has been uncovered. The, the spouse has now been shamed, all right? It's, it's as, you know, it's, it's the one flesh, but now you haven't brought that other one into that what, which has been prohibited by God. But we all know that God intended, God's intention was that we be naked and unashamed, right? That's what he intended. But because of sin, nakedness is now associated with shame in this context. Because of sin, God's good gift, the blessing of marriage and the marriage bed, has left the bedroom and become a perversion. Again, in verses 8 through 18, God makes himself perfectly clear, again, using those words, you shall not, you shall not. I had a count and I forgot to write it down, but there's, there's a lot. Right? And sexual immorality, again, is not something new. So this applies to us today. In Leviticus 19, 18, 19, God says, You shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness while she is in her menstrual uncleanness. We saw, we learned in Leviticus 15, uh, this was not allowed because it would make a person ceremonially unclean. It may also have to do with the sacredness of the blood in Leviticus 17 that sexual contact mentioned here is forgiven, is forbidden. But let us keep in mind that God's announcements began with, you shall not. So again, therefore, any of these acts would be considered by God deliberate and willful disobedience. It would be sin. He continues in verse 20, And you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife, and so make yourself unclean with her. Again, verse 20 clearly speaks of the forbiddance of adultery, and we know that from Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments. Uh, <clears throat> most sacred, again, is the marriage bed. Adultery can cause a marriage to disintegrate, to break up. Thereby, it can dismantle a family. It has a big effect. 
It can dismantle a family. That's why it's so important to God that the marriage bed remain holy. And once it affects the marriage, it affects the family, and then it affects the church. You can't disconnect those. You really can't. So the command was to be fruitful, right? The building of God's church. So that's the whole idea of the sexual relationship, why God put it into place. But notice that the wording changed from uncovered nakedness to lie sexually. Again, making that distinction that this is not incestuous, it's simply, plainly, clearly, relationship of sex with someone other than your spouse. Just making that distinction. He goes on in verse 21, You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. The Ammonites worship Moloch through child sacrifice. Now, different commentaries have different uh, takes on this, but we read earlier, I forget what passage it was, that God stated that you burn your children, right? that you set them on fire. So I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with that. Now, again, some commentaries say that they were given up for um, uh, cult, cult sex, okay? Some say that they would just pass through a fire and not be burned. Others say burned. But wh- whatever it involved, all right? <laughs> yeah, right. You're not supposed to do it. But God is always concerned with our motive, with our heart. So to offer them or to make them pass through, right? really what, you, what, what you're saying there is you're devoting. You're devoting your child all right, to that worship, to that God, to that idol. All right? But we're not to devote them to anything other than God. Amen? We know that from Psalm 127 and other places in Scripture. It tells us, that we are to raise them, that they're not ours, but they're a reward from God. We're to be stewards of our children. So again, raising our kids is a form of worship. Worship goes into every aspect of our lives. We cannot detach ourselves from that. Everything we do is to be done in a godly way that he would get honor and glory and he be proclaimed. Then we have refraining from unnatural relations, verses 22 And 23, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And you shall not lie with any animal and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. Now we all understand that perversion is a distortion of something, uh, using it for its unintended purpose. Other than its purpose, the purpose it was intended. In verse 20, it said, You not to lie sexually with your neighbor's wife. So we have that word lie two times. Well, in two verses. The reason why I bring it up is that what today what they'll say is that word lie means to live with someone. That's not what God means. No. No, because we see it in verse 20, what it means. And we see it here and we see it throughout Scripture. 
So we'll take that right off the table. So it's per, it, it speaks to, to sex, right? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, reading, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So we can't agree with homosexuality because God doesn't. It simply goes against something that is natural. Homosexuality is unnatural. It's, it's evident. Whether you believe in God or not, you have to come to a conclusion that it is unnatural. And we can understand why God forbids these relationships. All right? It's a perversion of the marriage bed, and it's not being used for what God created it to be. We continue in, in Genesis 1.28. Again, its purpose, subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So that is the purpose of the marriage bed. That is the purpose of becoming one flesh, of multiplying, of building God's church. We see it also in Isaiah 45, 18. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, He is God, who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. There you go again. I am the Lord, and there is no other. So again, He created the world to be inhabited. And that's only going to happen one way. God found this act detestable because men created as God's image bearer, again, took something that God ordained and perverted it. Sexual animals really requires no explanation. It's, like I say, is yuck, right? It goes, again, it goes against God's creation, God's design. And we see that in Genesis. Everything that was procreated was after its own kind. So, you know, it just simply goes against that. And when God refers to something, as in this passage, as an abomination, homosexuality, it doesn't make, just hear me out, it doesn't make the wor- the, that sin worse than any other. This is not, it's not going to come up on the screen, but in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, okay? Paul writes, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral, sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters since then, since then you would need to go out of the world. So that in verse 10 where it says, where he writes, not at all meaning the sexually immoral, that translates into the act of homosexuality. That's what he's talking about there. So those who do such things, again, homosexuality is included in here with, with greed, with lying deception. Okay? It's, it's, it's not unique to itself. 
what Paul really is saying here in this passage is, if you know something's wrong, by doing it, you're saying, I don't care what God says. Just follow me. I'm going to keep doing it. That would be an indication that you're not going to heaven. I believe that's what he says in that passage. So, God detests, you talk about an abomination, God detests when man perverts what he has created to be exclusive to the preservation of his people for his glory. When I preached a couple of Sundays ago in Ephesians, we looked at uh, Corinthians, sorry, um, the strongholds, right? The weapons that, that we have been provided with that take down strongholds and fortresses. What the world has done today is, is, is taken these and made them ideologies, I said, and the very people that, um, that follow these practices of disobedience have created laws and uh, a temperature in, in the culture and a society today, and they hide behind these laws and these proclamations to give themselves permission to live the way that they do without a guilty conscience. All right. And I mentioned how we are still to love them, not by condemning them, but by sharing God's word. Right? That God's word would be what draws them by the power of his Holy Spirit. Man goes this way. He does this to the satisfaction of his sin nature. He's following his sin nature. Again, today, very common is the same-sex marriage. And not that we are to condemn them, condemn homosexuality. God is the one who condemns. That we love them by not compromising our faith, but by sharing the truth, not in a condemning way, but in a, in, in a truthful, honest, loving way. And then just let that lay where it lays and let God do what God does. And just don't... I think we have a tendency at times to be argumentative when it comes to things like that and maybe, maybe arrogant, all right? Because we see that word abomination, okay? God, yes, God is saying, I detest this because you've taken what I've created for my glory, all right, and you've perverted it. You've made it something that it's not supposed to be. It's, he calls idolatry an abomination. He calls this an abomination. He detests it. And as I mentioned earlier, all that we do is to worship God. Our marriage is to worship God. Deuteronomy 12.31, worship holy and exclusively to God. It says, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire 
to their gods. So as, as these ideologies creep into the church, oh, it's okay, same-sex marriage is okay, they love each other. No, it's not. Because we're to worship God with our relationship and we can't worship Him with something that God calls unholy. In Deuteronomy 17, 1, God required the best His people had to offer Him as worship. Anything less is a perversion an insult to God. You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep in which is a blemish, any defect, whatever. For that is an abomination to the Lord your God. Again, the things that God has set aside as worship, this is how you are to worship me. If we take it our own way and say, I'm going to worship God this way, he's saying it's an abomination. Lastly, Deuteronomy 18, 12. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of this, these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. Again, they are detestable, right? Because it separates Israel from God. When, God, when Israel should be separated from the world unto God. Not to be like everyone else. We're not to be like anyone else. Again, I mentioned earlier not to, that we not acquiesce and give in, you know, just for the sake of whatever. Fill in the blank. God says no, so it's no. And finally, the promise of peculiarity, which we've read earlier, but we see it here. Again, basically, God's saying, don't do what these guys are doing. You know, I'm kicking them out. Uh, you're going to move in. I'm kicking them out because they defiled themselves. They defiled the land. So don't make me do the same to you. Israel, again, would be responsible, again, for not defying themselves or the land. God is and would be with Israel, just like he is with us. He's omnipresent. He's with his people. God would be with Israel when they enter the promised land. God is with us. His spirit is with us. He is here with us. This place is holy because God is here. Amen? Earlier in Leviticus 15, the Israelites were warned about the danger of defiling the tabernacle. It's almost as if now we see that the holiness of the tabernacle appears to be extended to them entering the promised land, right? Where they go, God is there. His presence will abide. He is with His people. In verses 24 and 25 of Leviticus 18, God says, Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for all of these, the nations I am driving out before you, have become unclean, and the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. Again, he's speaking there even in the past tense. It's, it's as good as done. It's only a matter of time. In fact, these prohibitions are even extended to whomever comes into the land. Verse 26, But you shall keep my statutes and my rules, and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. That applies to you and I and our homes. Amen? Our homes should be set apart unto the Lord. So do not let any of that sin come in. Do not... Worship your God, right? If I'm to fellowship, let me do it in a, in a godly way, the way God prescribes, all right? Not in the way the world does it. 
don't allow those things to take place in your home. He's saying that to Israel. Don't allow it to go on. Don't make the land unclean. Let us not make our homes unclean. Verses 27 and 28. Again, we see past tense in here. For the people of the land who were before you did all of these abominations so that the land became unclean, lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean as it vomited out the nation that was before you. So again, he uses that word vomit several times. I believe it's just for him to... He's, he's so... This is so detestable. He's so sick of it that it, it's repulsive. And it should be repulsive to us, right? I think of I think of um, a stadium when uh, a game is over and everyone goes out. It's just like a flush, like it just goes. There's nobody coming in. Everyone is headed one direction, going out. Then in the last two verses, twenty nine and thirty, for everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord, your God. Church, I believe the message to Israel and to us today, again, to be reminded that we are God's people. He is the Lord and we need to live as such. God does not expect us to live sinless lives. If we could, there would have been no reason for Jesus to come. So we have, the, again, the principle of, of, uh, of Israel's peculiarity. Again, who God is and who we are. We have the people of peculiarity that we are to hate what God hates. Right? We need to decide to obey God and not follow the ways of this world. And then the purity and promise of peculiarity. Again, sexual morality and God's promise to us, God's blessing, God's presence with us. God is telling Israel, God is telling us, again, not to conform, not to bend, or not to blend in, really. But to exhibit, we have to exhibit self-control by obeying, because we are God's holy people. These prohibitions, many, again, were associated with the worship of other gods, so Israel would stand out from everyone else. The same way we mentioned about the, uh, the food that was unclean. Mike preached on that. It would prohibit their fellowship with other, other people. You would stand out. Stand, that we would stand out as God's people. Stand out as those, <clears throat> that we would stand out as those who aren't afraid to be different. All right? We're peculiar because we're his possession. Therefore, we should be different. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you again. Uh, I know it was, it was a hard study, it was like, but I thank you for just in the encouragement, Lord God, again, that we are your people, that you've called us to your purpose, and it's all for your honor and glory. And Lord God, that we have the promise of tomorrow, and that... The rules and statutes that you have had put before Israel and those that you have before us today, the church today, Lord, that we would uphold them, Lord God, because, Lord God, you are God. 
You are self-sufficient, self-existent. You are the great I am, and we belong to you. It is our reasonable service. May we be motivated. Uh, we know we are empowered. We know we are instructed. We have all we need for this life and for godliness. So have mercy on us. Thank you for your patience. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Lynn. All right, uh, can we get our hymnals? Well, please stand, grab your hymnals. We're going to sing 147, How Great Thou Art. Um, we're going to do one, three, and four. One, three, and four. Page 147, How Great Thou Art. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Verse 3. And when I think that God his Son not sparing sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. 
Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great thou art, how great thou art, how great thou art, how great thou art.